The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. Glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Dispensing Dacazin. One hour of full antidote, the airborne cure for many ills. Parenthes Maximus Wimpus, chronic or acute type. Bratus Majoris. Now, Dacazin, you can, you can get it. It's expensive. Uh, you can get the generic. Tricycanol is the generic. Uh, equally effective from, from what we can tell. Nice to have you here. Very nice to be here myself. As I get older, it's nicer and nicer to be anywhere. The number to get onto the program, 877-573-7825. 877-57-EQUAL. That's the number to call to get onto the program. I had to scratch and claw and beg and grovel my way into getting this program. Seems a bit unfair. All you have to do is just dial 10 digits, and that's it. You occupy the same airspace as I do. I don't know. I'll I'll deal with it. If you'd like to call in about circumstances, situation in your life, a person... Someone's perplexing you or bothering you or distressing you, or probably more accurately, you're perplexing yourself or bothering yourself or distressing yourself about someone else. We don't talk that way, but that's probably the more accurate way to put it in most cases. Dr. Ray, people can distress you. Yeah, they can, but the degree that they can distress you is in large part still left up to you. A uh, couple of things before I go into the opening manologue. As you know, I try scrupulously careful. I am hyper-attuned to the language that is no longer allowed to be used. That's why I call Mondays E-Person Monday and not E-Mail. It's very patriarchal. And even though it's not spelled the same, it's a homonym, it sounds the same, and you're not even allowed to use words that sound the same anymore. And more and more words are just simply not allowed to be used. Perhaps nowhere is that more blatant than in the um, um, Xmas season, the holiday season. I wonder how many people know that when they say Happy Holidays... That's a derivative of Holy Day. As soon as somebody figures that out, they're going to take that one away too. But here are uh, a number of politically correct Christmas carols. I think these will have to be changed in keeping with the new secular spirit of a little baby born a long time ago, whoever he was. 
Oh, holiday tree. Have yourself a merry little day of winter. Frosty the snow person. Chestnuts roasting on a safely contained, continuously monitored, eco-friendly, non-toxic outdoor fire. Higher power, rest ye merry gentlemen. Grandma allegedly got run over by an unidentified non-human perpetrator. Deck the halls with boughs of unendangered foliage. Hark! The herald mythical winged creature sings. I saw Mommy greeting Santa Claus with a purely platonic expression of inoffensive mutual affection. And this great World War II favorite, I'll be home for a short period of time in December. So just make sure when you see these things that you you are sensitive to the way they need to be rephrased. One other thing, that's just more of a generic answer to specific questions I've been getting. How was your Christmas? People ask me, how was your Christmas? Well, it wasn't as good as it could have been. And the reason for that is my wife insisted on letting all the children in the house at the same time. Now, you put stuff up. And it's delicate, some of those decorations and things like that. And then they bring with them their own children and the grandchildren. And, you know, stuff just gets wrecked. And as much as I told her, maybe two at a time, she's she's of this maternal mindset. Gather all around, you know, the holiday tree, etc. So it was okay. I I, I endured it. They, they all were in at the same time. 877-573-7825 is the number to get on to the program. And uh, I'm going to make this announcement probably all the way until the taping in Birmingham at the EWTN Studios. Those of you in the Quest area and in our Birmingham affiliate and all around there, if you want to go to EWTN, we're going to be taping four episodes of Living Right with Dr. Ray, TV show in its 14th season. Yeah, I look back on those uh, 14 years ago and said, who's that kid? Who is the kid doing the show? But we're going to be taping them, and always before a live audience, so you can be in the audience if you wish. We'd love to have you. One, two, three, four shows, all during the daytime. Bring the kids. Some of you big homeschooling families, you bring your 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 or 72 kids, you'll fill up the audience yourself. I think that's great. Go to EWTN.com forward slash DR Ray Live. DR Ray Live. And then you can just simply click on sign up and how many folks want to come to which ones. That said, opening monologue. Words get overused badly. And they permeate the popular mindset very, very quickly. One of these words that has taken up residence in our lexicon is toxic. I do not like that word at all. It's a nasty sounding word. To call somebody toxic. You realize what you're saying? They're poisonous. Dr. Ray, I disagree with you. 
There are people who are truly very, very threatening. I'm not talking about people that threaten your physical well-being or seriously threaten some other kind of well-being. I'm talking about people you don't like, you don't get along with, you got a bad history with. And most of the time, this is your family, your parents. They're toxic. And I've noticed that there are two groups who are most likely to use that word. The one group are those who go to counseling for whatever the reason. And if they're unhappy with their life, if things are not going well, making poor decisions, thinking badly about things, they typically talk about their past. And of course, in that past is their parents, or in their present is their parents. And a good therapist knows, a good therapist is aware that people will give you their perception of things. Oftentimes, there's no way to know where that perception ends and reality begins. But for the most part, therapists take at face value what the client tells them. And if the client is telling them how awful their upbringing was, how rigid their parents are, all the faults and failings of their parents, the therapist, the client, I'm sorry, the therapist, the counselor, is likely to be an ally of the client. And they'll use the word, because this word is big in therapeutic circles, they'll use the word toxic. And thereby, the client will use the word toxic. So it's been my experience that parents who have adult children, it's kind of a kind of an incongruous oxymoron, isn't it? Adult children, adult offspring maybe, have been tagged more often as toxic by people who go to counseling. So that's the first group. And there's the second group. The second group is that bunch that is running their lives in an unhappy way, a discontented way, a self-defeating way, a way that is just making things complicated and messy. Of course, one of the byproducts of running your life poorly for a long time is that you tend to lose insight into how you are running your life poorly. You tend to look other directions for an explanation to why you're running your life poorly. And where is the blame going to fall squarely upon? The parents. That's that's the new thing to do. That's the trendy thing to do. Blame the parents. And I've found that people who are running their lives poorly, in a lot of ways, are more likely to call their parents toxic. Whether they are or whether they're not. I've seen a lot of decent parents get labeled that. I've seen a lot of parents who may have had their faults and their failings, and maybe they're difficult. Maybe they're unpredictable. Maybe they're illogical. Maybe they're intrusive. Sure, 
could, you could fling a bunch of negative labels at him if you wish. But toxic? Think about what that says. You are poisonous to me. If I have too much of you, you actually threaten my existence, or at the very least, my contented existence. The longer I'm around the word, the more I hate it. To me, it's a toxic word. But it's very good at putting the blame on others, particularly parents. 877-573-7825, 877-57-EQUAL. Definitely want to hear from you with your questions or your comments or your suggestions, or you want to go straight to the line, disagree with me. Go ahead. I double-dog dare you. The doctor is in. Now, don't you feel better? Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. So when you see these different media outlets working directly in conjunction or conclusion with the government to suppress stories, what does that say to us about the reliability or lack thereof of the secular media? And then this is combined with a report that came out, a survey that was done on media executives. They interviewed 75 media leaders around the country, and they're saying, we're done with objectivity. Well, that's not exactly a news flash, but the fact that they're claiming that objectivity is just no longer necessary, and we are elitists, we know better, and this is what we're going to do, is frightening. And this is one of the reasons that we stress the importance of having outlets such as The Register and EW10 News Nightly and The World Over and Catholic News Agency and EW10 News In-Depth. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. Isn't it awesome that we today do not recognize His presence? in the Eucharist? Is it because we really don't go to him in humbleness of heart and say, Lord, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see you. I want to recognize you. I cannot live without you. Are we saying that? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Uh, I think I'm going to have to change this channel. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't really like when Andrew does that when he when he takes a quote from somebody that was on Teresa Tamio's show and then he uses it on mine. But I guess he's just looking for things to say in between. 8775737825 I go back to your calls. Remember John Roseman? Roseman had a column 
And Roseman was kind of a no-nonsense, back-to-basics, we-need-to-use-our-own-wisdom instincts in raising children. And Roseman always said the, the average grandmother has had more has more wisdom than the shrink. This this quote this quote was from Justice Antonin Scalia. This is this is what he said. <laughs> Interior decorating is a rock hard science compared to psychology practiced by amateurs. <laughs> I say sometimes it's practiced by the practitioners myself. Interior interior decorating, a rock-hard science compared to psychology practiced by amateurs. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Paulo is listening on Sirius. Channel 130 is where we are on Sirius. Uh, we used to be on 160, and I liked when we were on 160 because it was much closer to my IQ. 130 is, you know, I don't know, it's 20, 30 40 points below my IQ, or my wife would say 20, 30, 40 points above my IQ. Hi, Paula. Hi, Dr. Ray. Thanks for taking my call. I enjoy your show thoroughly. I've listened to you for more than 10 years. Well, you should be pretty smart by now. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) You make me laugh. Um. Thank you for all you do. And my comment today is I was called a toxic parent. You were called a toxic parent? Yes. Where did he, is it a, a boy or girl? It's a girl. It's a, it's a 20, she was 22 at the time. Where did she get that label? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably the live-in boyfriend that she came to marry later. They ganged up and descended and called me a toxic parent and I've had enough of you and you're not worth having in our lives. Uh, Did she ever get specific about it or did she just slap the label on you? She slapped the label. Basically, I didn't support her. No, I didn't support cohabitation. I didn't support these things and they kind of flipped the script and said, well, you're guilty of all that and you're no one to talk. And to Uh top it off with the cherry on top, my parents continued to interact with her throughout this torture chamber of two years. So what you're saying here, Paula, is that if you don't morally agree with the way your daughter does things, you're not allowed, but it's not that straightforward. If you don't morally agree, it's not a difference of opinion or morals. It's a difference of uh, psychological well-being because you're poisonous. Exactly. Uh-huh. In the totality, 100% of it. Yes. Didn't that, stri- didn't that people- strike you as odd that your, your 20-some-year-old well, daughter would just decide that if you don't agree with me, you're just not worth it in my life? <sighs> well, yeah. I, I mean, yes, and of course there's a slow decline that you can notice, but I mean, the final straw was they're getting married, you know, in the park with no priests, with actually the sister who decided to become a ordained whatever of the guy she was marrying. You know, it just, it was just, it was, it was too much to handle. 
Nobody was invited. I brought my son. He, she didn't have. She was estranged from her sister too. So it just is, so, hey, Paul. It's not. It's not just you. No, it's anybody that anybody have, who doesn't look at life exactly as she wants them to. Yeah, and so so check this out. I keep texting her because you know I listen to the show and if they always reach out with love. You know, Mother Angelica says put love first, and right, I do that. Well, she had blocked me forever. Well, then she started answering me, and it was very, very like very uh, superficial. Well, she will answer now, but will not talk and will not come by and not see the grandchildren. And I, it's very limited. So she will text and say, oh, um, you know, just something very uh, matter of fact, you know, like weather related, nothing really deep. But what I have noticed is what's come out is that she cannot uh, stand the conflict. So she actually admitted, I avoid the conflict 100%. And see, all this while, you know, it's a, I'm on the string, right? I'm on the string. I can't say, oh, can I see the grandchildren? No. So I don't even go there because the minute I say that, I'll be cut off again. Well, here's so a question, like Paula. A really, Paula, here's the question. Yes. Yes, it's, been this way, it's been this way how many years? It's been since two, two well, let, hold on a minute. Let's see, 2020, two and a half. All right. Is it still bothering you as much as it did? No, but it's, no, I've had to accept that this is yeah. where I am in the food chain. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And here's here's a couple things to give you some peace. Okay. If you gave your opinion too much for your daughter's taste, and if you did things that she thought you weren't accepting her, you weren't accepting her boyfriend, however, however she read what you were doing, okay. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. you did. Maybe, maybe you were too forceful. Maybe you were be opinionated one too many times. Okay, so all right. However, at some point, for your own peace, you got to say to yourself, "I can't control what this daughter does, and if she mm-hmm. decides she's going to let me have a text here and there." And she'll mm-hmm. write back and say, hey, I got a new iPhone 22, mom. <laughs> right. Then that's going to be the extent of the relationship. And now I know this is easy for me to say, but if I were you, I'd work real hard on not being bothered by all that anymore. Yes. And you're absolutely right. It's exactly the only path forward for me. It is. Of course it is. And. This is, you know, I haven't heard my profession talk much about this. Uh, The closest I ever came was a guy named Dennis Prager has a radio show. And he said on one of the shows, somehow the topic came up of these parents that are estranged from their children Mm -hmm. on the basis of the children's choice. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, sometimes it happens the other way around, too, but... My experience has been, at least in the audience I have, it's that the kids write the parents off because they don't like your Mm -hmm. morals. They don't like your Catholic. They don't like your opinions. They don't like how you look at life. 
and they decide, I can't deal with you because I am who I am, and you have to accept everything that I am, and if you don't, you're just toxic, mean-spirited, awful, terrible, and difficult. This, Mm -hmm. This is a phenomenon I wish my profession would talk about, but I have heard very little about it. Anywhere. Yeah, me me as well. I wish it's a complete silent epidemic. There's so many of us parents that are struggling with this. There's no real um, voice to talk about it. We look down on in society that we did poorly as parents. We're, we're, we're um, stigmatized. It's really not a victimization. It's actually a real true thing that we've been absolutely cut off. We, there's no legal recourse in most states. I've even looked into it to see the grandchildren, uh-huh. and I say, you know, this is not going to achieve I'm anything. Glad, Paul, I'm glad. I'm going to have to run because that music means i got to get off. But I'm glad that you're moving ahead with this and you're finding your own peace and you're not tethering your peace to the decisions that this adult woman makes. When did Jesus reveal the existence of the Holy Spirit? Though the Lord alluded to the Spirit in speaking to Nicodemus and to the Samaritan woman, the Catholic Catechism tells us Jesus did not fully reveal the Holy Spirit until he himself had been glorified through his death and resurrection. Little by little, nevertheless, Jesus did also refer to the Holy Spirit even when teaching to the multitudes, as when he says his own flesh will be food for the life of the world. When the hour for his glorification arrives, Jesus actually promises the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth, the other paraclete, says the Catechism, will be given by the Father in answer to Jesus' prayer. He will be sent by the Father in Jesus' name. This is Peggy Stanton. And this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. Feeding 5,000 from a boy's five barley loaves and two fish, as recorded in John chapter 6, is quite a miracle. Yet the next day, Jesus downplays it in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Likewise, God's provision of manna to the Israelites in the desert was also a great miracle, yet Jesus similarly downplays it in verse 49. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is clearly stating that His Eucharist is greater than both of these amazing miracles, and the Catholic Church absolutely takes Him at His word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. I really enjoy playing trivia. Although I'll tell you, I'm great with stuff before 1985. You start moving towards the current pop culture, I am gone, I am lost. But here was a question we had, and we got it as a team. Think about this. Four U.S. presidents had a middle name that began with H. Who were they? We had three minutes. 
you have the whole show. Plus, you can probably search it. 877-573-7825. 877-57-EQUAL. That's the number to call to get on to the program. I, I, I got to add some more comments to this. Many parents are getting, of course, very unfairly labeled toxic. And as I said in my opening monologue, uh, I think there's an inverse relationship. The more poorly that someone is running their lives as a young adult, the more likely they are to call their parents toxic. Got to blame somebody. Parents are the closest. Parents are the ones who had 20 years of you. Now, here's part of the problem with that. Parents run the gamut from great to poor. Some might even say pathetic. Most, I think it's fair to say, that most are unintentionally poor. And by that, I mean they have their own struggles. I've had many people email me and say, I developed a much greater tolerance for my father as I got older or for my mom when I heard more, maybe from grandma or somebody, of their own upbringing, the kinds of things that shaped them into being the people who they are. But what I've been noticing, too, is that many of these parents are just, they're just human. They got the good points and the bad points. And they, for the most part, tried to do a decent job of raising their kids. And many of them were very very faith-filled parents. And that that is, and I know I have a, a select sample size on this program, who listens? But many of them tried hard to raise their kids in the faith. And as the kids left the faith and drifted out into the culture's amorality, it's not even amorality anymore. Now it's kind of anti-morality. They look back on their parents And they don't have the tolerance to say, well, I don't agree with my mom or dad, but I'm an adult now, so I suppose I can let them have the way they look at things. I don't have to write them off. But it speaks of a real insecurity to me, and an intolerance, of course. And it's tied into the fact that if I reject the faith, why do I have to forgive you? The faith says I have to forgive you, but if I don't have the faith, why I don't have to forgive you. I can decide whether I want to be around you, and I don't care whether you're my mom or my dad. I have no loyalty to you. The fourth commandment, honor thy father and mother, doesn't doesn't affect me because I make my own commandments. That's, That's what's going on. And I've noticed so much of those who say, my parents were toxic, are they themselves intolerant people, very intolerant. They can't simply say, I don't like my mom, but she is my mom, and I will do what I can on getting along with her, or at least being civil. And I won't do the thing that I know could probably hurt her the most, which is to say, you can't have access to your grandchildren. Yeah, the big club. The big club. So, this whole idea, it has to be studied. I know my my editor, Devin, over at EW10, said, you have to write a book on this. 
and, I, and I've touched upon this in many of my books. I've touched upon it in several of them uh, where I talked about this whole phenomenon that's so obvious and so pervasive among, particularly among, religious parents. You're not religious, and therefore you're pretty much culturally, morally defined, eh, then your kids aren't going to be that upset at you. All right? So, given all that, let's go to Bill, who's calling from Ohio. Hello, Bill. Hello, Dr. Ray. Appreciate the call. Well, thanks for answering. Well, something My tells question. me, yeah, something tells me, Bill, you're not, you're not, well, maybe you are. I'll be, I'm being unfair. You're more interested in how you view this as to how I view that. Is, am I wrong on that? Well, it seems really weird to me, and I, I know I'm an old guy, but I don't think it's right. Well, what, what prompted the question for you? Okay, the question Bill's asking is, uh, a priest uh, allowing the altar service to wear studded earrings. Now, are you talking guys or girls? About a 12-year-old boy. Okay. So he's got a, a studded earring, and the priest is saying, okay, he, he can serve. You say you don't think it's right. How so? Well, I think it takes away from the holiness of the Mass. How? Because it draws your attention to the server instead of to the Mass itself. Would it draw your attention to the server if it didn't bother you? Well, not if he wasn't, say, up at the altar, around the altar. I mean, I don't care what he does on the street or wherever, or the rest of his life, but when he's serving at Mass, I don't think it's appropriate. Okay. Some would say, perhaps most, would say that Yes, there is a, a certain comportment, a certain reverence that is required when you are near the Blessed Sacrament like that. But the question, Bill, is, is a trendy earring in a kid's ear, which again, we, we've not, in our culture, we've generally not had guys have earrings, okay? But in human history... That's that's come and gone. It, it depends. It depends on the culture. It depends upon where. It depends upon how. So right now, that's it was an oddity 20 years ago. You never saw it. Never saw it at all. Zero. You're right. Not so much now. So the question becomes, is it disrespectful or is it a trend that you say, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that. But, okay. I, what do you think the priest's motive is for allowing that young man to serve with a studded earring? Well, I think he has a lot of trouble getting servers. That's think what I'm thinking. He's, I think he's willing right. to, to put up with it. Well, I agree with you up to the point. I think, yeah, he is having trouble getting servers. There's no question about that. But perhaps if he has a young man who says, I would like to serve, and he says... Well, yeah, but get the get that out of your ear. His his view may be it is so much more important to have that young man serving and 
being close to our mass that way than to go after this particular fashion trend. I think that would be his motive. Bill, thank you for the call. This is Dr. Ray, 877-57-EQUAL. Give me a call. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for those who have diabetes. Almighty God, we worship you, our Father, and we pray this day for those who suffer with diabetes. Look upon your children with this illness and grant them relief. Give them patience and the grace of perseverance in taking care of their health. Show them the way to physical and spiritual well-being. Let their cry come to your ears and bring them healing in mind and body and soul. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. Are you passionate about Jesus? Are you zealous for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him. Is that true? It's not true for most people in the church. Is Jesus my best friend? Is he your best friend? I'm looking around the church. There's a set of guys in here who have great man caves. As I was praying this morning, I felt like the Lord said, hey, when are you going to come to my man cave? (laughs) Like, you guys think a flat screen TV is really cool. You should see what I got to offer. Because I and I alone, he says, can really give you what it is you're longing for. Whoever it is we're rooting for right now, they're going to lose eventually. Whatever it is that's occupying our time, one day we're going to realize it really wasn't that important. Why aren't we hanging out with the one who alone can show us what life is really all about? When's the last time you hung out in the Lord's man cave? You're awesome. I love listening to you. And I even got my husband listening to you, and we're both in our 70s. Well, it took you long enough. Dr. A. Grandy, thanks for joining me here on the Doctor's End. You folks, you folks lift my spirits. Priests will tell you, priests will be asked, Father, do you, do you lose faith in the human condition because of all that you hear in confession? And to the man... Every priest I've ever heard answer that question says, no, I actually gain faith in the human condition because the repentance, the, the, the self-scrutiny, good qualities that come out when you go to an honest confession. And I, and I see that as a psychologist. I hear an awful lot of stuff, nasty stuff. But I don't, I think it's helped me understand more the human condition and how frail we are and how easily we can kind of get sidetracked from seeking God, or those of us who want to seek God. And so I'm not all that stunned 
by folks. Now, I've been waiting to do this on a call probably for years. And I'm going to do it, and many of you, perhaps most of you, may say, what was that? This is the problem you run into when you're older, like me, and you have a reservoir of history that goes back about things that anybody reasonably younger than you is not going to recall why this is significant. But I'm going to go to line one, and I'm going to go, Yo, Polly. Hi, Polly. Hello? Polly. Uh, yo, Polly. Oh, oh. Now, not, uh, it, do, you, do you know where that's coming from? Is it Polly or Paula? Uh, it's Holly. Oh, Eric. See, he 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 put Polly up there, and <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, Polly. And now, if I would have said, yo, Polly, <laughs> did you know where that was coming from? No. I knew it. No, and you you're, you said Paula. I'm like. You're, you you are trying to pretend you're that much younger than me. That was from the first Rocky movie, when his oh, when his, yeah. his his buddy and his trainer was Paulie, and he's like, "Yo, Paulie." If I was a, a movie watcher, um, I would probably <laughs> you know, but I do know the movie. Yeah, you know, I came out and spoke to you Chaldeans. I, I my opinion is first of all. The Chaldean women are some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, my. And then I was <laughs> fortunate to come up several times up your way and speak to the Chaldean groups, oh. and they are just lovely, oh. lovely people. They dress up. They dress up, yeah. Oh. Especially if they go to a wedding. But I mean lovely personality-wise. They're warm, and they're <laughs> they're they're ethnically connected. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Anyway, I sidetracked you, my dear. I you agree. had a question. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so lately, okay, so when I watch it, uh, Passion of the Christ, is it? Yeah, but, so I yeah. do understand some words because I speak Hellian. And I heard, and I never questioned this, that Jesus spoke Aramaic, but Jesus was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Since I'm listening to the show, I decided to call. Uh, maybe the next time I spoke to, you know, Father, I was going to ask him, but... Yeah, uh, is there any way you can clear the confusion? Did Jesus speak Jewish, and why do I understand the Passion of the Christ? Or did the movie that was it was made in a um, Aramaic language and not the you know Jewish language? Surely, okay. He- Hebrew he- Hebrew was the formal language. The the uh-huh. you 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 would say it would be the the. If the the literate language of the time, uh, the educated people mm. understood and knew Hebrew. The common people spoke a mm. Hebrew dialect called Aramaic. It oh. was it was a form of Hebrew, but it was more the common lingo, and and most scholars mm. and most uh, theologians will tell you Jesus more than likely spoke Aramaic. But he may have he may have known Hebrew oh. too. We we really don't know that. But he did speak Aramaic, mm. and the fact that you recognize some of those words is because there's a bit of a crossover. 
You know, for example, I know some of the words in Italian, which allows me to understand some of the words in Spanish. Because they're kind of, there's there's sort of a, a blend here and there on certain words. Kind of, there's, there's sort of. Still there, Holly? Oh, we're losing you. Are you there? Oh, Holly, your yeah, phone's... I am, Dr. Oh, Ray. there you go. Your phone was acting up on you. Uh, yeah, it's so... I'm a, Yeah, it's it's raining like crazy. So that... So, so what that, had to do that explains it. it. <laughs> okay. And, oh. and, the, and part of it, for example, I'll just give you a small example of how that's used. Uh, Jesus called Peter Cephas. And Cephas was, I believe, the Roman name of, 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 was it, was it rock? Kepha. Cephas? Cephas. Oh. Kepha was Aramaic. You are Kepha. Mm-mm. You are rock. And on this rock, oh. I will build my church. All right. So. Well, in Chaldean, Kepha, Kepha is, with a K, Kepha is a rock. Yeah. That's right. So there's that overlap. Yeah, there's that overlap. Right. Interestingly okay, enough, it's okay. an interesting story. I was I was out in California, and the the uh, mm-hmm. parish I spoke to, the priest was one of the first people to see the passion of the Christ before it was released. Mel Gibson had a number of folks, and and this priest was one of them who were were asked to view this initial viewing before it, it went to the theaters. And the priest said he was the one who told Gibson, who recommended that they put in subtitles, because Gibson wanted it just to be in Aramaic, and people would understand what was going on by visually seeing it. And the priest recommended the subtitles. And which I think was a great move because I'm I'm I mean I I could look at it and try to understand completely what's going on, but I think I'd miss a whole lot if I did that. So just a little tidbit there. Okay. Oh. Well, but, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm yeah so much, you know, at ease right now understanding. Like, why do I understand it? But it should be in his I call it Jewish, so yeah, there's a lot of difference. Sure, there is. So, um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Ray. Holly, thank you, dear. Uh, Merry Christmas, and and also, uh, it, would, it would have been cool if your name was Polly, because then I could have gone, "Yo, Polly." Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you, dear. Uh, Talk to you. You're not one of my favorites. Thank you. Happy New Year's to you. Merry mm, Christmas. Bye, bye. Uh, I was going to say be back, but that's really dumb. I mean, where else am I going to go? This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. 
In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends, and yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all, but secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them, but remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. been fascinated by New Year's resolutions. People essentially pick that date, January 1, to alter some aspect of their personality, their lifestyle, lose weight, exercise, be more this, be less that. We humans, we, we want timelines. We want to be able to point to the date that I changed a direction in my life seems to have some kind of impetus for us. We don't say, well, January 19th, that's the day I resolved to start exercising. But for the Christian, pretty much every day should be a January 1st because we are asked to resolve to live better every day. Look at ourselves. Scrutinize our ways. Learn what needs changing. What needs to be improved. I guess you could say that from a secular perspective, January 1st for the Christian is every day. Nothing special about January 1st. My wife made that observation once. When all the folks, we were at various places in the past, and midnight hit, and everybody got all excited over midnight hitting, and why? I mean, it's tradition, and it's expected, and okay, so you celebrate. People like to celebrate. I got that part. But January 1st is just a day on the calendar that uh, is a different year. But that's pretty much it. I suppose it has something to do with, by and large, 
people are dissatisfied with the previous year and say, okay, we're looking forward to a new year, a new start. Things are going to be better. Because you always want to do that. You want to be hopeful about that. So that image of the new year sustains you a little bit. But I find it fascinating, too, that if you look at New Year's resolutions, and I'm not sure of any actual studies on this, but if you look at New Year's resolutions, they don't last very long. We have a standard joke in the weight room, in the exercise room, that gets really crowded after the first of the year, but yeah, by sometime in early February, it, it, it returns to the to the stalwarts, the people that have pretty much been in there all year as the as the resolutions sort of fade. Or people want to lose weight. Maybe that first month they lose five pounds. And then after that, uh, it either stops or slows or regains. What is it that makes resolutions so tough to sustain? That's why the church in her wisdom, says you got to have God's grace. Humanly speaking, we're not real good at sustaining a resolution. I really, I really don't want to complain as much anymore. Okay, that's my resolution. I'm not going to complain as much anymore. How long did that one last? But if we say, dear Lord, would you please help me? I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need your strength here. Because my tendency is to complain, so smack me upside the head with your grace. Let let me hear myself complaining. It's the only way I'll actually be able to make sustained progress on this resolution not to complain. You recognize that, there's much greater chance that your resolution will live on. Without it? Well, you'll probably just fall in with the bulk of us all and have a an impetus and a motive to alter something uh, because the date says alter it. But in fact, without God's grace, eh, the date just fades. <laughs> it fades into the past, and the date isn't enough. So on this last final day of the year of, of, of my here being with you live. Uh, tomorrow we have a, a look back Friday. But on this uh, last final day, here's my suggestion for your New Year's resolutions. Ask God to take your hand <laughs> in this resolution. Admit that there's a pretty good chance that you could slip right back to your old ways, given a little bit of time, a little bit of temptation, a little bit of laziness, a little bit of apathy, a little bit of lack of energy, whatever it is, and ask him to supply it for you. Dear Lord, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I've had enough evidence in the past that I can't do this on my own, so I'm definitely going to bother you, bug you, give me the grace and strength to do it. Dr. Ray, wishing you a most blessed beginning of your year, the first day that you will resolve every day to live more like Christ.
For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.